Yeah. Uh, I would say that it would be a church as long as it has a pastor and deacons and that it's um, it's participating in the ordinances. So so we could we could narrow it down to a set of offices, pastor and deacons, and that it's practicing the ordinances, that it's doing uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So um, any church that's not doing that, any home church that's not doing that would be at the very best, a church out of order. At the worst, it would be just um, a group of people who are not willing to submit to, you know, a local congregation, a local set of uh, of um, governed rules, a covenanted body. So there is some value in in uh, those starts those types of meetings, but you have to be careful with that. I mean, if you think about it, our church, the way that it started in 1939, it started with a very similar group. But but they quickly moved to a place where they decided to come up with a statement of faith and a church covenant and a, they, a recognized pastor and um, started practicing the ordinances. And then over time, then they added the deacons. Um, so until that time, it would have been a church out of order, but it would still be a, a church. So... Good question. Yeah, church planning missionary is usually under the the membership of its church, of its sending church. So, for example, um, trying to think if Mike Jewell is a member of First of Lake Orion still. Is he? Okay, Clay, Clayton's saying the end. So, I mean, a lot of these missionaries, when they're going out, they're still under the authority of Similar to the Apostle Paul, he would have been he would have been under the authority of still as he was out way in Asia Minor and that he was still under the authority of Antioch Baptist up there in the north. Okay, I joke about the Baptist part, but but the Antioch up there he was he was sent out from them Paul and Barnabas, um, and he would still be a member of that church. Yeah. Who's that? If he is a pastor, yeah, some some guys just go to help, but yeah. Yeah, well, usually uh, in a mission uh, church planning setting, there's going to be some transitional phase where the the missionary goes out to the field and he works to establish bodies of believers and set up a lot of times nationals to become the pastor. Okay, so in that sense, he's just doing the planting, um, and then he's moving on, and then planting it somewhere else. And so, in that sense, um, you know, like an Archie Perez, he is actually the the pastor. He's considered the pastor. Um, but other missionaries that are just there to move to plant a church and then move on would still be under the auspices of their church back home, and may or may not be referred to as the pastor. But you know, th- those are kind of just semantics. Yeah, John Patton. I don't know that. I don't know specifically his. Some of you have been there, so. Okay. Well, yeah. If if he's a pastor within his church, then he still could be. But I don't know where his membership lies. So you just have, it just depends on the setup. Sometimes guys are going there 
just to become the pastor and be the pastor long term, you know, and that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but other guys are, like Paul and, you know, like uh, Mike Jewell or somebody like that is just going to help establish churches and then move on. Yep. Well, I would say it's a church out of order. Yeah, if there aren't deacons, then it would be a church out of order. So it still could be a church. Just be a church out of order. So so that would be that's not a bad thing. Uh sometimes churches are in that situation where they have to be without. Yep. So are you convinced that membership is necessary? Um based on what we saw from the word of God last week. I, I think we need to think of membership less as less like a gym membership. You know, we go as long as there are benefits that are helpful for us. And think of it more like citizenship or uh, even a marriage relationship, a covenant. That's what we ought to think of membership as. And so with that in mind, we should recognize that there are few reasons to uh, remove ourselves or to revoke our our membership from a church, biblically. There are a few reasons. Now, there there are some reasons. Uh, one would be death, right? No longer a member once we die. Uh, another would be doctrinal deviation. And uh, perhaps there are a few others, like if we move out of the area or something like that. But, you know, in our day, we treat church membership much like we treat a gym membership. And so, in doing so, we stay at a church for three, four years on average. And that's a sad um, that's a sad acknowledgement, really, of of where our hearts are. And just to be fair, uh, pastors don't stay much longer. By the way, they're they're about the same, three to four years, and then they're gone. Um, and so we need to start thinking about membership more biblically. And that's why we took a whole class to do that last week. Um, we we need to think about it more like a long-term commitment that we want to be a part of. And I'm thankful that at this church, that many of you even here in this room have been members for a long time. And uh, I hope that you will uh, continue to pursue that that um, that that uh, commitment and uh, continue to help other believers in their walk with God. That's really what church membership is about. Well. Uh, we do need to move on and talk about preaching the foundation for unity this week. So let me begin with a word of prayer and ask for God's help as we do. Our Father, we are uh, grateful for how You have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we thank You that You provide clarity where there is there is um, unclarity, where <clears throat> where things are unclear like with church membership and, and the, the waffling that goes on in, in our own minds and in the churches uh, in, in America, we, we want to be faithful to you in what biblical church membership ought to look like in our church. So help us to be more committed to it personally and as a church. And we pray that today as we think about preaching, that we would see its value for us individually and that it would be an encouragement to us as we seek to uh, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Christians, we probably all agree that preaching is important. Uh, otherwise, you likely wouldn't come to church at all. But when we think about the topic of church unity, 
it's not immediately obvious how preaching is connected to church unity. How, do, how does preaching connect with unity? Um, so, if we see that preaching is important and maybe even the foundation of unity, how is it connected? And so that's what we're going to consider today. How does preaching foster unity? And how can we be good stewards of the preaching that we hear in applying it to our lives and helping the others to apply it to their lives as well? I want to begin by looking at the basis of preaching. Um, the basis of preaching. God throughout any time that God created or God recreated, He did it through His Word. God has always created through His Word. We can think back to, obviously, the creation and see that God spoke and it came into being. So God created with His Word. Think about the Ten Commandments. It says, leading up to the Ten Commandments, and God spoke all these words. And what came out? were the laws of Moses. And these were what actually created the people of Israel. It actually established them as a body of, of people who would follow God. Obviously, there were some unbelievers in there. But God, God proceeded to give His law. Or consider Ezekiel 37. Why don't you turn there with me? Perhaps the best, one of the best or most picturesque-looking... Um, Views of what it looks like when God creates with His Word. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked... And behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, and an exceedingly great army." So here you have Ezekiel speaking to dead bones. And he speaks the Word of God to them and these bones start to come together and then sinew and flesh and then breath is breathed into them all through as a result of the Word of God. In the New Testament, God's people found their beginning in the spoken Word of God. Remember Jesus' very purpose for coming? Mark 1.38 He says, Let us go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus had come to preach. And it's Peter's preaching in the Gospel of... Uh, he's preaching of the Gospel in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, that first ignites the church. And then throughout, as the, the apostles faithfully teach that, that sustains the church. And so it is the power of God's Word that brings people to life. And that's exactly how you came to life spiritually. You came to life spiritually through the Word of God. And God sustains your life through His Word. And so, we see this important point that God's Word is central to the identity of His people. God's Word is central to the identity of His people. Um, Christianity is, is first and more, foremost about a basic set of beliefs. If you think about um, the, the phrase that was probably 
well known that, that Christ died for our sins, 1 Corinthians 15, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and He appeared to Peter and the Twelve. This is the Gospel. This is how God's people are created. But I want to, to go beyond that and say that preaching is actually vital to unity. See, what I've shown so far is that God's Word is vital to unity. We need God's Word in order to be united together into one body of believers. But now I want to, say, to go one step farther and say that, that preaching is actually vital to unity. And uh, so we want to see the unique role of preaching in a church. And then once we've done that, then we want to um, then we want to see how that applies to us individually and to us as a church. So we've looked so far. All these references are talking about God's word and the power of God's word and how it brings people together. But now we want to see how does preaching connect with God's word? Because last time I checked, when we preach, we don't just simply say God's words, right? We don't just simply read the text. Now, hopefully we don't do less than that, but, but that's not all we do. We, we, when we preach, we actually say more than what the Word of God says or, or we expand upon it. And so for some of you, you might automatically see the connection and recognize that, that God's Word is very closely connected to preaching, but perhaps you've been under bad preaching or, or perhaps uh, preaching that's not very Bible-centered, and so you don't see the connection. And you say... Well, I, I, I see that God's Word creates life, but I don't see how preaching does. And so now I want to, to show that, that uh, preaching is actually vital to the, to the, to the um, expansion and the creation of God's people. Now, preaching, we need to set in contrast to just um, studying the Bible for ourselves or listening to, um, you know, listening to good teaching on, on audio. Okay, this is more than uh, you know, just getting together for coffee and talking about God's word. We're talking about actual preaching of God's word, where a group of believers come together under the uh, under the teaching of God's word with a person who's been entrusted to that body, who's actually been chosen by that body to do the, this very thing. So, where is the biblical emphasis on preaching? We can find all sorts of examples of God's emphasis on His own Word, but what about the emphasis on preaching itself? Well, I'm sure you can think of all sorts of examples. Um, even when Moses would teach the people in the Old Testament, he would he would use the Word of God and then expound, explain it to them. But but obviously we see it most clearly when we, clearly when we come to the New Testament, when Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God, and we see the the apostles following closely behind and so preaching is very much a part of of what uh god has intended to establish his church in fact one of the commands that he gives to pastors in second timothy 4 is to preach the word he doesn't say simply to read the word he does say that actually but but to give attention to the reading of the scriptures but he also says to preach the word and so it is very central to what god is doing well why then is preaching particularly important in the context of a church Um, this is a critical question because 
between the individualism that seems to be taking a deeper and deeper root in our culture and our, and our good heritage of recovering the priesthood of all believers. Do you remember what the priesthood of believers is? It is that, that we can go directly to God and, and even the, um, uh, our ability to interpret the Scriptures on our own. The Holy Spirit lives within each one of us if we are believers, and, and He teaches us, He helps us to understand what is true about the Bible. So we can kind of take those doctrines and we can take those over here and combine that with our individualistic mindset that comes from our culture and say, we don't really need preaching. I can kind of get it on my own. And, um, but we want to see this morning that preaching is distinctive from those types of Bible studies for two reasons. Number one, Preaching is authoritative. Preaching is authoritative. And then we'll see, secondly, that it it, it is done within the context of relationships. And both of these hinge on the fact that preaching isn't just about the words or the message. It's about who the message is given to. It's given to a community of believers. When we listen to preaching, we as a church community gather together to struggle through the implications of God's word. And we want to we want to see that we want to see that done within the context of, of believers. So why do we need preaching in the context of believers? Number one, preaching is authoritative. Preaching in a church should help explain and interpret and apply the scripture to us. So in one sense, Authority rests in the Scripture itself, but we know that it's, we are all sinful human beings and we can err in explaining and interpreting and applying inerrant Scripture, can't we? And so preaching is, is uh, helped by the fact that it's done within the context of believers. In other words, I don't take the message that I understand the Scriptures to teach and just go and spread it out to all these people, whoever will listen but I do it in a specific context of believers, a group of believers who have entrusted this responsibility to me and have actually uh, and, and are actually coming alongside to help make sure that what I'm preaching is true. You see, we, we actually have a mechanism to help, uh, to help guide me, to help make sure that I'm preaching what is true. So the congregation is the final authority on doctrinal matters. Turn to 2 Timothy 3, and I'll just show this to you because... Uh, actually, I think it's 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3. Yeah, 1 Timothy 3. Because sometimes we can think, well, if I'm not the one preaching, then all of my responsibility is passive. I have no saying in what, in what is being said. Uh, and so I just kind of sit passively by and, and the preacher just says whatever he wants. But I want you to see that this is actually your responsibility, just as much as it is mine, to uphold the doctrine of Scripture. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. Would someone read that? All right, so Paul says there, I want, I want you to understand how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church, 
Specifically, how does he refer to the church at the end of the verse? The pillar and support of the truth. Now, if we didn't have that first part of the verse and we just saw the pillar and support of the truth and we need to fill in the first part of the verse, what kind of things would we fill in? What, what do you think the pillar and support of the truth would be? Okay, Jesus, we would say the Bible, you know. Uh, but instead, Paul says it's the church who's the pillar and support of the truth. Now, again, we've got to be very careful with how we, we, we explain this because we're not saying that you know, there's ex-cathedra type speaking here where the church can speak above the Scripture. But the way that the Scripture is, and, and the foundation for truth is maintained is through the church, through the community of believers. So, preaching is authoritative, but it's done within a community of people who love the Scriptures and want to see its truth proclaimed and will not allow when the truth is, is not proclaimed or when false teaching is, is given. And so this helps us to see that there's an extra degree of confidence as a congregation that you can have in the authority of preaching because you have a responsibility in what is being said. Um, And we'll talk about what exactly that looks like here in just a second. Any questions or comments so far? Bill. Are you wanting me to apologize? Or? Well, we'll come back to that uh, here when we look at some of the application, um, and that's that's a good example here. But let's look at this next um, next distinctive: why we need preaching in the context of believers, and that is because because preaching is applied in the context of relationships. Okay, so if preaching is authoritative, it's speaking on behalf of God, and the church is making sure that what is being said is actually true, then the next thing we need to see is that preaching is done within the context of relationships. We have specific people with whom we have covenanted ourselves who who agree about the same doctrine, right? We've all agreed to the statement of faith. We've all agreed to what how we're going to live, the church covenant. And and yet we often forget that, that with our sinful tendencies, um, you know, we, we need each other. You know, when we come to the Scriptures, it's very easy for us to say, well, I have the Spirit of God in me, and so I can interpret the Scriptures properly every time. 
But, but we have to remember that our sinful tendencies reach into every part of our being, even into our reasoning and our understanding of the Scriptures. And so we need to, the Spirit to continually illumine us and to remove from us the barriers that are keeping us from understanding the truth. Okay, just think about perhaps a text in Scripture that you know is convicting to you. See, our sin can get in the way and say, well, maybe that's not really what the apostle meant. Or maybe that's not really what Jesus meant there. Maybe He meant something else. And so we kind of soften it a little bit for ourselves so that we don't have to be confronted with the truth of it. And yet, what happens in the context of preaching within in the community of believers is that we have to do... We, we hear that preaching within certain relationships. People know who we are. They know what we're hearing because they're sitting next to us or somewhere else. And, and they're seeing what we hear and they're helping to hold us accountable to its truth, to its validity. So God has blessed us with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit often works within, within groups, doesn't He? He, he helps us to determine, let's say, for example, uh, the various things that we vote on as a church. Right? No one person can say, I am going to choose who the next pastor is going to be. No one person can do that. Not in a congregationally ruled church. It's the congregation as a whole. That's because we believe that, that the Spirit of God lives within every believer and that the, the group of believers is actually going to be able to determine God's will as best as possible when it's not clearly stated in the Scripture. So when the Scriptures don't say, you know, uh, Fred Johnson is to be the next pastor, it doesn't say that. So we have to determine that just like the, the church did in Acts chapter 6 with the deacons, right? They had to select from among themselves who was who were going to be those men who would serve the church. And so the Holy Spirit does help us to interpret the, the Bible, but our interpretation is not necessarily free from error. error. And so we need each other. We need a community of believers who have, have agreed together around a, a, the same doctrine to help us to to be able to understand these truths and to be able to help apply us apply these things to our lives. Because you know that especially the more you come here, the more people know you. The more they know your life and they know what you're hearing from the preaching. And now when they see, see you start to stray morally or doctrinally, they can come alongside of you and say, hey, that's not what our church believes. That's not what the Bible teaches. Let me show you. I, I know you've heard this because I saw you listening to this message. Now, sometimes we can do that to the exclusion of looking at our own hearts, and we've talked about that before. We've got to be very careful about just, okay, this is a great message for that other person. Okay, we've got to be careful with that. But, but all that being said, when we have checked our own hearts and we are innocent before God, then we ought to be going alongside and helping other people. And we ought to want that that other people do that for us. Because we know the danger and um, we, we know the danger of sin and its ramifications. And we would we would want nothing more, uh, nothing less than for people to come alongside of us and and keep us from walking off the cliff spiritually. Okay? So, have you ever thought about that? How how important it is to gather together with God's people to hear His Word preached in light of our own sinful tendency and our own bent towards self-deception? 
Have you ever thought about it? That's a big reason why we need to listen to preaching in a healthy church. We need to listen to good preaching in a healthy church. And not just on a, a CD or a sermon. There's lots of great sermons that you can get online. And there's probably lots of better sermons that you can get online. And I could probably just take the word probably right out of that sentence. There are a lot of sermons that you could hear better online. But one application of this is to persevere in coming to church even when you may feel discouraged. Come to church even when you feel discouraged. You know, I don't really want to come now because I'm I'm really discouraged spiritually. And so what can happen with some Christians is they kind of just go into seclusion because they didn't feel like coming to church. And they didn't want to, to deal with that struggle. Maybe it was a particular sin or or maybe a deep-seated um, distress or discouragement. But, but friends, we should realize that this is exactly when we most need to be in church. is when we're starting to stray, when we're struggling with something spiritually. We need to be under the preaching of God's Word and with a community of believers who love us and want to see us move on towards righteousness. And that's one reason why God gave you this church, to help encourage you when you're struggling spiritually. So don't isolate yourselves in times of spiritual difficulty. A second application... uh, Okay, just want to make sure I didn't miss any points there. Second point of application... Um, that these benefits I've been talking about don't accrue to you if you don't let people know who you are and if you don't get to know other people. Okay, so we can isolate ourselves in one way by just simply not coming to church. We can isolate ourselves in another way by coming to church but still isolating ourselves, being quick to shoot out the back door or not talking with anyone else, finding out about who they are and what kind of things that we can pray about for them and not letting them do the same for us. Okay, so we got to be careful with isolation physically and just isolation uh, maybe emotionally. So we need to we need to do that. So that that means that you should build relationships within this body of believers. And there's lots of great ways to do this. Okay, one I just mentioned, just be be there before and after the service. Talk to one another. But also be at, be at the various activities that the church provides for these things. You know, we, we sometimes call them fellowship and, and um, you know, maybe we connect food too closely with fellowship in a bad way, but, but it ought to be fellowship that's going on there. That when we get together for food or for other reasons, it ought to be for the purpose of helping edify that person, building up, building them up. Um, and, and this, this, ought to be happening. And so what I would encourage you is if you are more prone to kind of remove yourself and be isolated, then make sure you're at all of those things. And uh, certainly even if you're not, I would encourage you to be at those as well. So preaching is about a living community. And I would say that sanctification is a community project. Sanctification doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen, you know, just while you're sitting at home 365 days a year. It happens within the context of believers. It's a community project. We need one another. I need you, and you need me, and you need everyone else here that's a part of our church. Any questions? Ken? Pardon? A crew? Uh, put onto your account? Yeah. 
Anything else? All right, so we've seen the identity of God's people is grounded in the Word of God and that preaching is really the connection point, the way that this unity is, is built up is through preaching, not just through, you know, uh, just simply reading God's Word. It's at least that, but it's more than that. Now we want to see, for the rest of our class, three ways in which biblical preaching promotes unity and the implication that that has for the type of preaching we should encourage at this church. Number one, it's a message around which to unite. The first way that preaching promotes unity is that it makes clear what we are uniting around. Okay, two weeks ago we saw that church unity has a, per, a particular purpose. It is to showcase the power of the gospel and, and uniting very different people into one body and, and calling on the name of Christ. So how is that gospel message proclaimed? Pro, primarily it's done through preaching. So preaching helps make crystal clear what it is that defines this body of believers. So, so as preaching is done in this church, we help to define who we are. What, what are the boundary lines of what we believe? And, and what are the boundary lines of who needs to be in and who needs to be out? Um, and when I say that, I'm talking about church membership. Preaching must never uh, get away from the gospel. So biblical preaching helps make specific message clear. And it helps us to guard against unbiblical preaching. Uh, that is, um, when we have a message around which we can unite, it will help guard us against unbiblical preaching. Do you remember uh, whose responsibility it was? to uphold the truth of Scripture. We saw here in 1 Timothy that it is the church who is the pillar and support of the truth. Remember Galatians chapter 1 when Paul says, if I or any other person speaks to you another gospel other than the one that you heard, even if it's an angel from heaven or me, and let that person be what? Accursed. Okay? So the responsibility is not on the pastor, the deacons, to determine what it is that we believe. It's on the congregation as a whole, and it's on the congregation to guard. Now, I have a specific responsibility to watch out for you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, Acts chapter 20. So it's not that I'm free from responsibility, but, it's, but, but I want you to, to understand that it's not only my responsibility. Okay? I do have a main or a primary responsibility, but, but it's not only my responsibility. So what happens when there is unbiblical preaching? How do we respond to unbiblical preaching? And there are several ways that we can look at this um, before we get to that one. All right, I'll just leave it there. Um, first, how do we respond? I would say, number one, respond with humility. First, we should remember that we may very well be mistaken about what we thought we heard or in our ability to recognize what was being said or, or what was true. And so we ought to come in a spirit of humility. And I would say that this is true with regard to any sinfulness or doctrinal deviation that we see in any believer's life. Not just because, hey, this is the pastor. We have to be especially revering, you know, that sort of thing. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in humility, anytime we go and approach another believer, it ought to be done in humility. Not out of anger, not a, not out of a rash, you know, choice. When you speak with someone that you feel is an error, 
then you ought to do so with humility. And um, recall Paul's words even uh, in 1 Timothy 5. He says, Do not rebuke an elder or a pastor harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. So just be careful when you do that. Do it with humility. Number two, um, where, where are your thoughts? What, what's your purpose in doing this? There is a thoughtful, helpful criticism that ought to be going on with regard to response to, to my preaching. But, but, um, but what are you trying to accomplish in this criticism? So explore your motives in, in doing this. Is this just because you know, you're really uh, grumbling or complaining about some other area um, or desire to see, or are you really desiring to see God more glorified through faithful and effective preaching of the Word? Okay, so, so check your motives. Number three, consider carefully the severity of the error you suspect when you choose the time and place. Okay, so was it with regard to an application that was given that maybe you disagreed with because you have a different view on some way that something is applied? Or was it about the specific text of Scripture that you're... That you're now, there's a place for both of those, to disagree with those, but think about the time and the place that you're doing that. If there's you know, someone waiting to, to talk to me, maybe an unbeliever wants to know more about how to be saved, and you're there first and wanting to, to just air your opinion or something. Okay? Just, there's a good time to talk about differences in the preaching, but just, just keep that in mind. Perhaps uh, just find a better time and a better place. And then number four, um, be careful about with whom you talk uh, about this, this, um, this difference. Okay, sometimes we can quickly go to other people and maybe we, it wouldn't be helpful if we went to a fairly new Christian or maybe a vulnerable Christian who's already cynical or, or something like that. Is that going to disrupt your friend's ability to trust the preaching of God's Word if, if you continue to criticize in, in that way? So just consider that carefully as well. And, um, and of course, the flip side is, is not just uh, talking about differences, but also talking about to the pastor and to others when you agree, when when um, you know when when there's encouragement to be given. So preaching builds Christian unity; it helps make the gospel clear. Number two, it builds us up in Christ. It builds us up in Christ. The second way in preaching can foster unity is by promoting spiritual growth. Biblical preaching teaches a congregation who God is, what He's done, and what that looks like in our life, what, what it should change about us. So, this is a pretty obvious point, though. I mean, uh, why does preaching exist? To help us grow spiritually. Have you grown from the preaching of God's Word throughout your Christian life? Uh, you know, I, I constantly look back and am reminded of the preaching that I was under particularly under Pastor Dorn. And I don't remember specific sermons that he preached. I don't remember specific spectacular points that he gave. But I just remember when I started and when I finished under his preaching, that I was changed. And it wasn't like, you know, I really decided it's time for me to change. It was just little changes. As I started to see clearly the, the Word and how it's applied to my life, well, I need to change that. And so I little changes. And over time, 
We are changed through the preaching of God's Word, and that's exactly what God wants to happen. We're not looking for some spectacular fireworks or, or some zapping of the Holy Spirit um, in a super in a overly supernatural way. Uh, certainly, it is supernatural that He changes us, but we're looking for God to change us bit by bit. You know, this is like a, um, a plant grows up from the ground. I, I often use that analogy from the Scriptures of, you know, we often don't see the growth that's happening if we're just staring at it. It's like, where is this tree that's supposed to be bearing fruit? But then over time, you say, wow, man, 14 years ago, I remember when that was planted. And now look at it. It's up and it's bearing fruit. And that's what we want to see over a long period of time. We want to see slow change. And that's good. Uh, not looking for microwave type growth. Growth, And that's what preaching does. It doesn't address all the topics in one setting. Although sometimes with the length of the sermons that you hear, you may think, man, it seems like we're exhausting this point. Okay, But that's not the idea. So, Let's think for a moment what type of preaching will best help grow the congregation. And I've argued before for expositional preaching, which means what? Anyone have a a short definition they can help explain what expositional preaching is? Okay, exposing. Anyone else want to modify or add to that? All right. Where the meaning of the text is the meaning of the sermon or the point of the text is the point of the sermon. That's expositional preaching. And I, I, would, I would suggest that this is the best, best way for a congregation to grow. Now, the alternative way to preaching is called topical preaching, where the pastor determines the primary point that he wants to give, and then he searches for supporting points in the text. And I would suggest to you that there's nothing wrong with that inherently, Okay, there's nothing wrong with topical preaching as long as those points that he's drawing from the text are actually the meaning of the text so that we're not taking things out of context. Okay, but, but in general, it's better instead of, okay, just say I want to do a topical, I just want to choose topical series throughout the year to do. Well, I'm going to choose topical series that I think that are helpful for our congregation. And so may, maybe I do something on, you know, relationships at home and, or, or just look at what's on the top ten best-selling list. This is what a lot of seeker-sensitive type churches do. What kind of issues are people talking about? And so we do a you know, 26-week study on homosexuality or something. Well, what expositional preaching does is it helps us to see what God wants us to understand. So we, we just work systematically through various texts of Scripture, and then the main points that come up in the text have to be the main point of the sermon. And that has to be what we learn each week. And so now we start to see that, you know, maybe God wants us to learn these things. And as we we do this, it helps us to highlight what God highlights. And the way that I like to think about it is like a stamp. So if God gave us a stamp and He said, here's what I want to impress upon my people, and we would take the stamp, put it in the ink, and then put it on the paper, here's this beautiful picture of what I'm trying to show. What we sometimes do with topical preaching or we can do is we take the stamp and we force the we force it on the ink and then when we go to put it on the the paper we kind of force just one side of the stamp down so the picture is all distorted and what god wants to do is to help us to see the full picture and i think if we do a systematic study through the scriptures that is a 
regularly going through the exposition of Scripture, opening up the meaning of the text verse by verse, chapter by chapter, then we start to impress what God impresses. And those things that, you know, that are up a little bit, they're, they're a little bit impressed, they're up higher. I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but indented into the stamp that we tend to focus on may not be what God wants to, to focus on. And so the, the preaching in this way will help that that God's Word helps set the agenda. Um, And if you think about it, a topical sermon is only going to allow you to learn what I knew before I sat down to study the past or to study whatever I'm going to study, right? So when I determine a topical sermon, I'm going to just give you what I know. With an expositional sermon, I have to study the text and see what God wants me to know. And so I'm learning as you're learning. I'm learning the text. I'm passing on to you, and hopefully you're helping me to make sure that it is that it is biblical. So preaching fosters unity by building us up with clear boundaries of what we believe, and uh, specifically, uh, this expositional preaching is what God uses. All right, and then finally, did it apply God's word to unique needs? feel like uh, Star Wars here. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> not working. Uh, apparently, I haven't reached Jedi status yet. Um, the last way in which preaching promotes church unity is that through preaching, God's Word is applied to particular needs of the congregation. Our congregation has particular needs. And so, what this does is, is when there's preaching... Um, that's done in this way, then it helps define who we are and what we can be for God's sake. As we start to hear the application for the text, we can start to see what God is calling us, our specific body, to do. You know, we're not uh, Inner City Baptist Church. We're not First Baptist of Troy. We're, we're not some of these other churches. We are Ambassador Baptist Church. So what does God specifically want us to be? Now, we're going to be very similar to them and our overall understanding, our basic understanding of orthodoxy. But how does that play out in our specific ministries? It's going to be different, right? And um, so it helps us to determine the needs and the characteristics of our congregation and where we're headed. Any questions or comments on preaching? Any concerns that you have been just, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you about your preaching, and this is the time to do it. You don't have enough time? I understand what you're saying about topical versus um, expositional. Um, Occasionally I've heard a good topical sermon done, like by Pastor Harding, for example. Um, If 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 the pastor really seriously digs into the Word and doesn't try and input his own point of view, Yep, I would say topical sermons ought to be done expositionally. So what that means is each text that he's drawing from need to have the meaning of that point. So now we're getting into a little bit specific. So let's say topical sermon has three points. Point one is drawn from this text of Scripture. So he needs to exposit that text of Scripture. The meaning of that text needs to be the meaning of this point. As long as he's faithful to what that text is saying and not changing it, then there's no problem with that. And that's why I say topical sermons are not bad, and they ought to be done. In fact, we do them here. Um, but, but I'm saying as a regular pattern, it's, it's 
I think, better for church growth to have expositional preaching, just working through the text of Scripture. Um, and um, Well, I think what your point may be is that if we don't work through the text of Scripture, you might miss things that we're doing if you're doing topical preaching, and yeah. you're missing a lot of things in between. Absolutely. Yeah, you can miss things if you're spending all your time on topical sermons. I often say when I'm talking about expositional preaching, I would never, probably never, do a sermon on divorce. Okay, it's just too uncomfortable to do. But when you do an expositional preaching, you have to. I would probably never do a uh, a sermon on pastoral authority because it just comes across as very self-serving. And yet it comes up in the text, and I'm, in a sense, forced to do that. So. Or giving. It's like if I'm doing just t- sermons over and over again on giving, well, listen, this is not about my paycheck. This is about God helping us to become better uh, better servants of His. Paul? Expositional preaching also helps you to daily like your personal study. As you're walking through Scripture, that's how you read Scripture. I don't read my Bible topically. I yeah. read it yep. expositionally. Yeah, that's a good point. That's how we read our, our scripture. Jared? Right. Absolutely. Yep. And I would suggest that you actually do need both. You need a doctrinal, um, and, and this is much primarily what we're doing here, doctrinal and applicational. You kind of need both um, to do that. And, and um, I heard an, a good explanation of that. I can't think of how it how it goes right now, but I'll try to dig that up from Dr. Snowberger helped draw those two together, that there needs to be a, you know, a biblical study, which is what we're doing in the main services, and then also a doctrinal study, so that we're not missing, you know, some sometimes when we go through text, we might miss a key doctrine, uh, because doctrines, quite frankly, are understood topically, right? If you just look at our statement of faith, it's not it's not a systematic study through the when I say systematic, I mean uh, an orderly study from Genesis to Revelation. Here's what we believe about Genesis. No, it's a doctrinal understanding, and that's completely appropriate. And what we're doing in here, again, I think is, you know, like you pointed out, I think is, I think that's appropriate. It just has to be done faithfully to the text of Scripture. And actually, I think we need both of those things. But primarily, the preaching ought to be done expositionally. So I guess my main point. All right. Well, we uh, have gone over time, so let's pray. And if you have further thoughts next week, we'll, we'll uh, take questions for that. Lord, thank you for um, the faithful preaching that we've been able to hear at this church over the decades. We're thankful for the men who have come back even this summer on Wednesday nights and have shared with us um, and reminded us about why we are the way that we are. That, that much of our success spiritually as a church is a result of... Um, of faithful preaching of congregations in the past who have helped put the guardrails on what would be preached at this church, and as a result, uh, we can we can uh, enjoy the shade of their uh, of their sacrifice, previous congregational members. And so we pray that you would help us to continue to faithfully teach the Word of God here and preach it. And we pray that the congregation would be serious about its responsibility. In that as well, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.